Welcome everyone to the Reflection Artist Live podcast hosted by myself, Justin Lobato. Set your calendars to tune in every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time or 9 a.m. Pacific Time where I will be bringing you industry spotlight interviews live from my active detail shop or an industry event. So if you're curious about who is who and what is what in the detail industry, don't forget to subscribe and tune in every Wednesday for some of the most exclusive interviews. Okay. Matt, we are officially live. So we are here May 18th, which is Tuesday. Usually we do this on Wednesday, but this is Reflection Artist Live, episode number 29 with Matt Mormon, owner uh, and president of Obsessed Garage, which if none of you have heard of who Matt is in Obsessed Garage, I highly recommend you go on to YouTube and start looking at all the wonderful work he's done with all the videos and everything he's done for the detail side of the industry in the short time he's done it. Now, granted, this gentleman has a vast background with a lot of other things outside of the detail world, and he was intrigued in the early 2000s with detailing, and it led into Obsessed Garage and the early 2014 timeframe, which has led up to now with his international recognition of his brand. So, Matt, thank you for uh, joining us and taking the time out of your day, and I want to kind of dig into, you know, just your past life so people could get to know who you are a little bit better and, uh, you know, leading up to, you know, the obsessed garage and how that got started. Yeah, I have, uh, I have a background in engineering. I never was an engineer, but I have a bachelor's in electrical, uh, electrical engineering from, from Villanova. And, um, I wasn't, I wanted to work, go work for like Sony or Yamaha or something like that. Nice. But I just wasn't smart enough, you know, smart enough to like make it through, but not smart enough to be like a real engineer or what I you know, would call a real engineer. So I learned how to sell in college. I got a job at a high-end stereo store and I learned how to sell things. And I was a typical engineer, wouldn't look in the eye, was very introverted. And so selling things that I was passionate about really brought me out of my shell. The other thing that helped was that it was a commissioned job. So you'd get paid a percentage of the profit, which was like an awakening for a guy who wants cool stuff uh, i don't really care about the money i care about the stuff that i can get with the money yeah and yeah. so i started you more motivated because the more you sell the more you make <laughs> yeah it, i just can't imagine having a, a salary i just i just can't imagine you know now there's a lot of insecurity that comes from that uh, you lack of security i guess you should say but there's that that motivation to get up every day and, and go chase you know the next deal or the next sale uh, and so while I was doing that, I graduated college. My buddies were going to work for Lockheed Martin and Unisys and different, do AutoCAD at different places. And I didn't really pay much attention. So I couldn't get any of those jobs. And so I kept selling home theater. And when I graduated, I moved to Florida, packed my stuff, my Civic SI and my big screen TVs. Remember, you know, rear projection Mitsubishi. Oh my gosh, I those things two, were huge. Yeah, I had two of those and a bunch of uh, clips and a bunch of uh, audio equipment that I'd acquired from doing. And I moved to Orlando and was selling home theater here. And, uh, and a guy from my store, uh, a guy came in my store from Merrill Lynch. And uh, he, he talked me into interviewing and, uh, and he explained how you know, the stock market, you will never find the end of, the, of data. You can just keep chasing information for infinity. Uh, whereas at Sound Advice, I learned every product that they sold, memorized, I would memorize like the monster cable 16 digit skews and 
I was the answer guy. And so I was a big fish in a small pond. And this was an opportunity for me to be a, you know, a small fish to grow into a big fish at Merrill Lynch. And I took the job there and I cold called for six or seven years and built a business uh, where I advised people, you know, how to organize and manage their money. Same thing, you're taking a technical topic and you're, 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 you're explaining it hopefully in a fashion that people can understand. Did this uh, allow you to also be your own entity of being able to do that as well? Yeah, so we got paid what clients would pay us, right? And so you, if you sat down and you had a million bucks, I'd say, hey, Justin, I'll manage a million bucks for 1%. So I charge you 1% a year. If your million go to a million two, now I'm charging 1% of a million two. And so you do the math, the firm would keep half and I'd get the other half, basically. Nice. And, so and how old be, were you during this time frame? Uh, so I started when I was 25. Um, I started interviewing with Maryland when I was 23, got the job when I was 25. They wow. said I looked like Opie Taylor because why they wouldn't <laughs> hire me. And then I real I didn't know who Opie Taylor was. Well, I realized I, I looked him up. Opie Taylor's Ron Howard. And I think what finally got me the job is I said to the you know regional guy, I said, you know, Opie Taylor is Ron Howard. Ron Howard's a pretty successful dude, so I think you should give me a shot. And so I got a shot at Merrill Lynch. And <laughs> you really normally guys start there in their 30s, you know, second career. Because trying to convince somebody to manage their life savings when you're 25 years old. And I looked a lot younger. I had a straight hairline and was <laughs> chubby and I looked like I was 15. Um, but I was good at digging into the details, just what I'm suited to do. I love detail. I love I love all of the specifications of things. And so mutual funds and ETFs and individual well, asking the right questions and profiling the customer for their wants yeah, and needs. It gave me a chance to get on stage and show what I knew. That's the, that's the sort of theme of this whole obsessed garage thing is that my passion, my drug, if you want to call it narcissism, whatever it is, my drug is to stand on stage, the stage being you and me talking about something that I love that you don't know as much about that I can then dump. And otherwise I don't really have much to say. You know, no, <laughs> I don't talk politics. I don't, you know, I don't make small talk. I'm not good at pleasantries. I just, I just love things a bit too much. And so mutual funds and ETFs became the thing. Although I will say, you know, hindsight being the, you know, what it's worth today, I, I left the happy to chase the money, right? So I, I should have started a home theater business when I was 23 and, and I started the Merrill Lynch path. If I would have done that, I would have a $500 million business of something, you know, would Do you I think that would still be, I mean, hmm. as far as I, I've seen the car, car audio business go down, but I don't know about the home audio side, but do you think that's still, a thing it's that niche. has the popularity it's very niche not as popular but um you know what we do is a, is a pretty extreme niche that's growing it's on the growth trajectory Correct. Yeah. of awareness whereas you could argue home theater was on is on the downward trajectory but now it may be on the upward trajectory as people don't go out as much this is true i i think that i could kind of like what i'm doing with obsessed garage and create solutions to problems you didn't know you had right and so I would, I could convince you to buy something, even though you didn't know you need it, if, as long as you can show the value. Yes. So if you can show value in something, then there's a certain subset of people that, that want that. And as social media became, and when we're on Facebook Live right now, as social media became more prevalent, 
you're able to reach those niche audiences in, in at scale where you were never able to in the past. No, yeah. And so I learned how to sell at Merrill Lynch to people that didn't want to buy what I was selling. Whereas at Sound Advice and Tweeter, when I was selling home theater, they were walking in the door. They wanted to buy it. They just needed somebody to, to it was a retail sale. Yeah, well, Merrill hold Lynch, their hand and show them what they Lynch needed to the, buy. <laughs> right. Merrill Lynch has the platform, but no clients. They don't give you clients. You got to find them. Oh, wow. So I had to cold call. I had to go out and just get up, get the phone book. I had the Hill Donnelly Street directory. I had to get a new one every three months. And I would try to search for new move-ins to the area. And I'd cold call them. And I'd say, hey, this is Matt with Merrill Lynch. By the way, I hated doing it. I was scared to death. Every call I did, my voice would be trembling. I just, it was horrible. But I knew in order to get the result that I wanted, I had to do it. Just like if you're yeah. starting out in detailing, you know, you, you don't have any clients. You may hate to go to car events and dealerships and things like that. You may hate to go drop off business cards and places, but how else are you going to get to beat the streets, you know, unless yeah. you're just fortunate enough that you have a client base from, from you know, family or something like that. Most people don't have that. Yeah, you got to so put yourself have, out there. Right. I didn't have any of that. But Merrill Lynch had a platform. You know, they had the, the investment platform and all of that stuff. So I didn't have to create the platform. I just had to learn the platform, which is really robust. And I, then I had to go find the people. I had to go find, find the people. So in 2014, um, well, I had our, my second child, had a daughter, and I suffer from uh, something called vasovagal syncope, uh, which is a result of being obsessive. I obsess about my health and my future. Right. And that, that byproduct, I also obsess about pads and polishes and, and wheels and tires and everything, anything that I'm interested in, home theater and this MacBook Pro I'm using and micro, I mean, I got these crazy microphones here. I'm obsessed with anything that I'm interested in at the time. So the, the, the positive byproduct of obsessive and compulsiveness is that, um, is that I can be good at things because I'm passionate, I get very passionate. The side effect to it is I get so wound up and my trigger is the doctor that lights go out. Like it's, it's a fight or flight mechanism. So in 2014, we had my daughter. I was the resident director of the, of the market for Merrill Lynch. I had a multi-hundred million dollars where I was managing for clients. I had, a, I had a, you know, 15 people that were working for me. I thought I was freaking awesome. I was making, I don't know, four or 500 grand, something like that. And I thought I was the freaking king. So I didn't let anybody do anything. So I was wound so tightly and we had our daughter and I passed out the waiting room and something triggered in me and anxiety entered into the equation as well as, so it was always a big joke. You know, I used to be super fit and jacked and I'd walk into the doctor and I'd fall over. And it was a joke that, you know, man, you know, this big, strong guy would pass out. Well, I didn't know what was happening. It just happened, right? And so at that moment in 2014, anxiety feels like the passing out part is the direct result of too much anxiety, too much adrenaline, too much panic. And so I passed out there and then I almost passed out in the store. The story is, you know, what happened is I was scrolling through Facebook and one of my buddies was in the hospital and the black death came over me. I almost wow. passed out. And then it was at that moment that anxiety hit me. It's like, 
when, when you break that seal, it's like you can't put the genie back in the bottle. I didn't know what it was. Uh, and so, so I had to go to a psychiatrist and a psychologist. Now I'm an engineer. I don't need help. I thought I was better than everybody. I know everything, you know, so I thought. Uh, and so this was the first time in 2014, the first time in my life where I was open to other people, helping, helping me drive, helping me at work my assistants helping me, my partners helping me at, at the, you know, at Merrill Lynch, I had a few business partners. And, and it was the first time I let anybody help me because I didn't have a choice. And so I walked in this goofy therapist's office and he, um, I like his papers all over the place. He's got like white New Balance on and like some acid wash jeans, just a total nerd, you know, just, a, just like someone I would have dismissed of knowing anything. But I was so open that if you would have told me to rub some snake oil on my, on my nostrils or my earlobes and that would help, I would have done it because I was stuck in this endless anxiety loop. Again, I couldn't go to work. I couldn't drive. So I went from king, what I thought was king of the world, to can't function. And so the therapist, it was several therapy sessions, but the, the therapist eventually came to the conclusion, I need to make some friends. Right? I need to let some people help. I need to invite people over. I need to let people do things. I need to do things together with other people instead of just detailing in my garage by myself, you know, with my headphones on. Instead, I needed to invite people. I had these cool cars and, I, and cool stuff and all this knowledge from obsessing that, that I need to let people in. And so I got a spreadsheet out and figured out what the most efficient way to meet most people would be. And so I figured a YouTube channel would be a good way to do that. So this is August of 2014. And then you couldn't make videos over 15 minutes long. You had to like submit for special permission. And I'm making, you know, 50 minute hour long videos. So I set up my wife's photographer. So I set up her camera. I didn't have a mic. It was, didn't pull focus. It was, didn't have autofocus. So I tried to set up focus and I'd be talking to the camera and just therapy session. And I didn't have an agenda. I didn't care what you thought. You know, I just needed to get some of the stuff out of my head. And so I'd be detailing my GT3 and detail of my M3. And then, then I started journaling on Renlist and M3 post my detailing process, a lot of which I learned from the forums and a lot from uh, Phil at Detailers Domain, his, his blog posts. I discovered Inzerna from him and Auto Finesse. And, um, and, and prior to that, I was using all Grio's garage. You know, you talked about in early 2000s, I discovered a clay bar and then I discovered Grio's Garage and my goal was to buy everything in their catalog. And I did. <laughs> and they have a hell of a catalog now, let me yeah. tell you. <laughs> and, and, and in between then, I, and I would try different things like different products, like discovered like, um, you know, I discovered Einzet at the time, I discovered Menzerna, I discovered, um, you know, different, different, you know, Sonax, some different products and that, that opened up a whole nother rabbit hole. But the YouTube channel was me just sharing my process at the time. This is how I wash a car. And I realized through the comments on Renlist, the Porsche forum, that nobody knows what I know. They don't know how to do this. And then I'd be bombarded with all these questions of, you know, how do I do it that way? Where do I get this? Where do I get that? Like, people don't even know where to get it, no, let alone yeah. how to use it. And so I discovered something that this was a way for me to get out of my own head what's in there I could get on stage and share and feel good about myself because I was able to share all this knowledge that I'd acquired from all the successiveness and it helped heal me it helped me so that I wasn't alone 
And I was so humbled by the anxiety that I was no longer, even though I, you know me, I'm still tell it like it is. Yeah. I'm not a jerk. No. I was a jerk when I was younger because I was big and strong and faster and smarter and had a better degree than you did. And which is all insecurity, right? So it's just all bull crap insecurity. Well, you were on top too for this for the yeah, time for frame what that I you thought, were in. Yeah. Right, right. I thought I was the man. You know, I could bench 315 and squat 400 and I could, you know, catch a football and throw a spiral and I could, I knew more about the, the home theater and I knew more about money. So I knew about the things that guys knew about and I made a lot of money and I had the best car. And, and so I deemed that to be great. And I don't know if it was God or what, but somebody came in and kicked me in the brain and said, bro, you suck. And it solved the issue of isolation and the world opened like the entire universe and so in the beginning when i'm making videos there was larry ammo you know on on youtube there was the junk was it the junk man yeah oh my gosh yeah <laughs> and then there was and then there was me oh there was chemical guys yeah and then there was me and so there was nobody else making any videos other than a few things here or there that. Yeah. Well, you had uh, Auto Geek producing a lot with Mike Phillips as well. Some, yeah. But they were still a lot of people going there for trainings and stuff. Correct. Uh, yeah. But there wasn't, there wasn't much. There was, certainly wasn't any outsider doing. No. You know, Larry's kind of an outsider, but he had a detailing business, right? I had yeah. no business doing this. And so in the very beginning, I was getting all these normal people that were, but, but not detailers. And so uh, the first year I went to SEMA, I never got so many stink eyes in my life. <laughs> you know, the detailing community, just, I had what it was. I didn't meet the right people yet. You know, I hadn't met the right people. And uh, so I'd have the manufacturers that would be wanting me to do stuff with them because they saw dollar signs, but I had the people that I wanted the adulation from the people that I wanted to be friends with really weren't into it, you know, because how could someone who doesn't do this for a living, how could they, you know, how could they know anything? Yeah. Where's the resume? Yeah. Well, my resume is called obsessive compulsive disorder. Let's, let's have a, let's have a knowledge off and, and I, I'm going to win. I can promise yeah. you that it's not a good thing. It's in the past. So I'm going to win because I'm better now is I'm going to win because I'm cursed, deeply cursed. Uh, and so, so the, but, but I had, you know, I had such a great job I and mean, why would I want to detail other people's cars? I want to detail my own cars. You know, in fact, I, there's nothing better for me than to watch you do what you do. That way I can pick up tips. I can learn things. I can see how, how's he holding the polisher? What am I doing wrong? And so I've done that my whole life with everything. And so Obsessed Garage wasn't like a thing that I dreamt up and said, you know what, I've got a good idea. I'm going to build a retail store. I'm going to curate products. I'm going to negotiate deals. I'm going to get paid from you, Google AdSense. I'm going to quit my job. Uh, none of that. And there was no agenda. There was no idea behind it. The only reason I started the website was because I got so annoyed from everybody asking me to put links in the comments couldn't make this up no so that makes from, sense so a buddy from church um who was a who's a web developer um he liked my story he was watching some of the videos he thought it was pretty cool and so he made me a logo which is the whatever the obsessed garage logo i have a rogue shirt on but the obsessed garage logo he made it 
he never signed an NDA. So someday I think he's going to come and sue me for a hundred million bucks or something, but he made the logo and then he helped set up a WordPress site uh, that I could then go in and take, you know, to, I took photos, you know, in my garage of the stuff and I would link to detailers domain or auto geek or Amazon. Uh, and I, and I, I did that just so I could organize all of the products that I was using just to get people off my back. And then I did that so that I could share my bio so I could have people stop calling me to tell this story that I'm telling you. I'd be telling the story of how do you know, how do I get a GT3? You know, how do I, because, because nobody knew I was in finance because I couldn't tell yeah. anybody that because you get in trouble. And so the, the idea of selling products was not a thing. It was not something I was interested in. In fact, I called Phil at Details Domain and I said, Hey, I think I'm onto something. I had like 5,000 subscribers. I said, I think I'm on to something. I'd like to partner with somebody. Um, I don't have time to sell stuff. So you stock and ship all the stuff and let's split it. And he's like, Matt, you know, with free shipping and Amazon, there's no margins in this game. There's just not, there's not enough margin for, 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 for me to do something like that. I'm happy to take the links from you, uh, but it's just, it's just not going to work. And so uh, in 2000, um, so years of building the site and I made some t-shirts and stuff like that. In 2016, I was sending people to Amazon and I started to make some real money on Amazon. Like I was getting like two grand a month in these referral links for me, referring out hoses and cranes of pressure washers and things like that. And, uh, and Amazon shut my account down because I tried to set up Amazon pay and it triggered a fraud attempt. Uh, and so they just closed it. Oh, wow. So this was the end of 2016. And I realized I'm building this house on somebody else's land. And I decided not to listen to Phil. And I started making some calls about begging companies to let me sell their stuff. Of course, they all told me, no, who are you? No, get out of here. YouTuber, get out of here. I had like 70,000 subscribers or something like that at the time. So I was really onto something. And it was a big deal, you know, 70,000 yeah. people. And I just met my friend, Adam LZ, who had like a million subscribers and that bumped me up quite a bit. But the, the decision to start selling stuff was because of the Krenzler pressure washer, which by the way, no one knew how to pronounce like we all called it Kranzel. The short gun wasn't really a thing. Um, I, 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 that was all born of me chasing. I wanted quick disconnect so I could break it down and set it up. But I had to send people, it was 16 links to different sites to buy Holy a crap. pressure washer to use it the way I was using it. And, and then a lot of the sites you're buying this $1,200 pressure washer for kind of shady. You didn't know if you were going to actually get it, you know? <laughs> Who wants to buy a $1,200 pressure washer off of Amazon, especially, you know, three or four years ago, the returns weren't quite as easy. Yeah. And so I, I came up with this idea of, so what if I just put it all together? What if I taped the fittings and put, got the hose, the inlet hose, and I got the short gun and I put the, you know, put the right size nozzle on and all the stuff I'd obsessed over. Nobody knew anything about orifice size. And, and I, I made, I figured that all out and I made it public. I made it, that, that information did not exist. I know because I tried to find it. And so nobody knew about it, you know, the size of the orifice in a foam cannon, which is now public knowledge. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, even Amazon hasn't. No one. But you, you get a gun and you put it on your pressure. Like, like oh, this yeah. doesn't work. And then you try to turn a knob on it or something. But that, 
that was the, the information wasn't there and I yeah. wanted to know it. And so I started buddying up with guys who were pressure washing experts, Jamie from Osmatic, Rob from MTM, um, Dan at the time from Krenzla and, and picking their brain for information that wasn't available. And so I figured if I could make that information available and if I can get rid of the 16 links and have you click one button that I could probably sell some pressure washers. And so I, after some convincing, I convinced MTM, MTM finally said yes after saying six no's. And then I used MTM to get Mosmatic on board. Uh, and then I used Mosmatic and MTM to get Krenzel on board. I used them as a reference, even though I hadn't sold anything. And they all allowed me to do it. So I, I, I reserved five pressure washers, 15 guns, 15 wands, 15 sets of quick disconnects, 15 inlet hoses. And I launched it on YouTube. I put 13 videos up all at once. And I lost 5,000 subscribers immediately because lost, you said? lost, lost. Because wow. I made a video, I made like a three minute video for every fitting, every part and piece. I made 13 videos because I knew that if I was going to buy a, a, a $1,200 pressure washer, I'd want to see, I'd want to watch all these videos. Yeah. Maybe not in the beginning, but after I ordered it, I want to know what I'm getting. And, and so I was selling to myself. Uh, and at that same time, I had like a hundred messages in my email inbox and, you know, DMs and comments saying, Hey, when you get this launched, I want one. And so I did a pre-order and I think I sold, I think I could probably look it up, uh, but it was like $47,000 or something January that in one week of January of 2017, I was like, oh, wow. Holy crap. I didn't have any of the stuff. I didn't have anything. I didn't so have you sold anything. all of that and didn't have it. I didn't have it yet. yet. Right, right. Oh, the Mosmatic gun didn't even exist. Like they had one, they had a, it was a line item in a catalog. They had one in Switzerland that I had paid several hundred dollars to get to me. Uh, and so I had one, but they didn't even, they didn't, no one, because no, all the pressure washer companies tell you, you don't want to swivel in your gun. I said, well, uh, bull crap. I want to swivel in the gun so my hose doesn't get bound up. And this gun was like 130 bucks or something like that. There were no pictures. Even Mosmatic didn't have a picture. And so, and I'm now I've sold like like 10 of them or something like that. February was another 40 or 50,000, oh 40, gosh. 50, 60,000 in March, April. I didn't catch up on those orders until I think it was like June or July of the next year. Because everyone that I sold was pre sold. And then we, you know, Krenzla had like you know they had like five of them in stock in the u.s and so you know they just you know they were selling to like you know meat packing plants and chicken hatcheries and you know real commercial environments and we're using this commercial pressure washer and well, the so, customer's pretty patient in regards to the time no, turnaround no. Some were, um, but but you know, some would wait three or four months, and they can. I'm they're parking their money fifteen hundred seventy five bucks. It was that was another thing. When I added it all up, I didn't know what it really cost, and to also make a profit and make it worthwhile, uh, it was fifteen hundred and seventy-five dollars. And every one of the manufacturers says no one's going to buy that. Everyone I knew, no one's going to buy that. Obviously, YouTube said get out of here. Five thousand people left. No one's going to buy that. But yet, the silent, the silent, uh, maybe not majority, but silent minority, said, "I want that. I just wanted somebody to tell me it was okay to buy," because when I bought it. I didn't, I didn't know there was Phil details. I mean, had a stock image and there was a stock image on Amazon. No one had showed anybody how it worked. Um, this was $1,200. I bought mine 
when I was making like 80 or 90 grand, it wasn't enough. It wasn't, I wasn't making enough money to justify buying a $1,200 pressure washer that I could only use to wash my car. Yeah. I'm using the, I'm using the gun. that's like 40 inches long and trying to clean my wheels. And so <laughs> my, my, my process was I'd have a garden hose for the wheels I'd have a pressure washer. And that's where the, uh, believe it or not, the short gun became popular in the world because a ex MIT guy who had COPD, who was always looking for efficiency. So this mad scientist in, um, in uh, where's he? He's somewhere in Texas, Houston, I think. And he would always send me these long emails about how I'm doing everything wrong and I need to do this or that. And so I'd always dismiss them because I'm, I'm not wrong. And, uh, and this time he was right. I'm like, man, I need to get rid of the garden hose. And so I bought the MTM M407. And that, that was in, I don't know, that was in 2014 or 15 or something like that. And so now the short gun, the reason why the short gun never took off is because it's illegal. It's illegal to, to have a short gun with a consumer-based pressure washer. They can't sell it with a short gun. So you buy a Karcher, Ryobi. The reason why none of, they all have this long thingy is because it's not, it's not that you can't, because of safety and standards, you can't have a short gun in a pressure washer box. You can't sell it. You can't import it in the U.S. and have that. So but you could go buy it separately and it's completely fine. Yes. Technically, no, but yes. Um, and so, so um, someday I'll probably get sued. But yeah. <laughs> so, so the short gun became a, became a thing because of that. What I should have done, if I would have known all this would have happened, I would have, you know, I would have had some agreements in place where I would have been, you know, the MTM, the the S uh, SG twenty eight, you know, the the one that everybody sells with the stainless internals and all that, not the blue yeah. one, but the other one. The reason that exists is because I called the guys at MTM and said. Mosmatic screwing me. They can't make them fast enough. I need you guys to make a better gun. And so we had a conference call, me and Mike Rindle and, and Rob Bridgeforth. You probably met Rob, you know, he's everywhere. Uh, and so I, I, we had a conference call and they said, well, what would you want? And I said, I want a swivel in the handle. I want it to be all stainless. I want to have stainless screws and uh, I want it to be half the price of a Mosmatic. And they made it. I didn't commit to it completely because I still wanted to sell the Mosmatic. And so then the rest is history. And then they took it to Adams and now it's freaking everywhere, right? It's everywhere. So I should have asked for exclusivity on that, but the product would have, if I had hoarded it, it would have never been what it became. So I probably wouldn't have sold as much and it probably wouldn't be as popular as it is. So that's the backstory of how that happened. But you still in a positive way contributed to the industry. I, I, I hope so. Yeah, I, I did it for me. <laughs> Right. So I did it because I wanted that for my washing process. Uh, and of course, nobody needs a you know professional grade rebuildable pressure washer for that. Uh, and so that year in 2000, so 2017, I did 1.8 million in sales total. And I started to started to put products together. You know, I started to I had the, the original vision was to have I had this bucket package that I knew would be really expensive that would get me in a lot of trouble, but I, I had it and I knew that other people would want me to package that. And I wanted to have a car washing package, a polishing package, not retail. I wanted to have just the things that I liked. So I have one soap, not 20 soaps. Yeah. I use one soap. And until something I think is better, I have one soap. Now I'm missing out on a lot of sales by doing that. You know, I should have sold chemical guys, Mr. Pink and Adams and 
PNS, per, you know, I should have sold them all, but then, well, then I'm just a retailer. Now I'm trying to compete yeah. with AutoGeek. Now everybody, now it's just matters who, who ships it the fastest and the cheapest. And I don't want to do that. I wanted to provide value in a different fashion. I wanted to be able to buy, uh, we have a $45,000 red camera. I wanted to be able to buy an amazing camera. I wanted to be able to eventually have a team that could help me make the videos. I wanted to build a business, not a retail business, but something that could provide value to the world. Uh, once I realized that there was some, there's something here. Uh, and so, and then 2018, uh, so I left Merrill Lynch in 2016, went to Raymond James. Uh, and then in 2018, I got fired from Raymond James. <laughs> so I wasn't laughing at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, um, I got fired because I did a day, a weekly vlog of my life, day in the life of the obsessed, I called it. And apparently I had a few fans at headquarters, Raymond James headquarters, that were in the compliance department. Oh, and they went goodness. to their boss and said, hey, check out how cool this is. And their boss is, oh boy. And, so, cool. and they called me into the you know, 12, there were attorneys and regulatory attorneys, everybody. Because I, I would say things like, you don't be stupid, just freaking max out your 401k. I'd be saying it in passing. And I took my camera in my office and showed them my desk and all of that stuff, and all my diplomas. Because that's how I was making the connection. I thought the real business was me getting clients in wealth management. I thought me selling a pressure washer was really just a conduit to me connecting with that person that had the money to buy the pressure washer for me to manage his money. So I could charge him, you know, 1% to manage his money, make his life better, organize. The problem with that philosophy was you can only have so many clients. You can only talk yeah. to so many people. And I don't even like people. So, so how the <laughs> heck am I gonna have you know, the thousands of clients? And so it was a great thing that happened to me and, you know, hindsight being what it was. So in June of 2018, I got fired. Uh, and I thought I would sell my house and sell my cars. I'd get like a golf R or something, something I could detail and, and continue to make my packages. By then, I think I just launched my microfiber package and my car washing package. Um, we've since quadrupled the catalog of the solution sets. I was selling Swiss tracks flooring by then and started to do cabinets and then tools came after that. Uh, but by the end of that year, I had seven employees. We did 3.8 million in 2018, roughly 4 million. And, um, and I was rolling, right? So I was in, I had a real business. I didn't have to sell anything. I didn't have to quit anything. In fact, now I'm making more money than I was making when wealth management. And nothing storefront wise. This is all more of an e-commerce approach. We have people that come that want to see that, you know, yeah. the, the Disney that because I'm an hour from Disney. But yeah. generally speaking, west side of Orlando, correct? Or? Uh, correct, correct. So okay. just south of Ocala. So okay. northwest, slightly west of Orlando. Gotcha. Just north of Claremont and, you know, Winter Garden. Yep. Where yeah, I'm. you're not far from me. You're maybe hour and 15 minutes, hour yeah. and 20 minutes. You west from where you're at. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so the, the, the business became real. And it, I think it was probably around early 2020 where I believed it. You know, with that, those first months when I got fired, I'm like, I'm freaking screwed. I was making, you know, $50,000, $60,000 a month to zero or whatever I was making in, you know, Obsessed Garage. But yeah. every dollar Obsessed Garage was going to buy more inventory. So I'm like, how yeah. the heck do I do this? 
And uh, luckily, pretty much everything I want to buy is a business expense because it's cars and stereo equipment, all the stuff that I make in videos. And so I don't even know how much money I make. I just know that I can buy lots of cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I know I pay a lot of tax, you know, that's not fun. But the, the, the big change from, you know, if you think about the selling retail, people walking in the door, getting what you, what, you know, getting something they want. So, so they built the platform and they built the customer that was sound device and tweeter. And then Merrill Lynch built the platform, but they didn't build the customer. So you made more money at Merrill Lynch than you did selling TVs because you had to source the customer. So you're getting paid a higher percentage of the profit. And now I'm in a world where I don't have a platform or a customer. I've got to build it from scratch. And that's where YouTube and Facebook and Instagram become so powerful uh, for me as an introvert, as somebody who doesn't really love people all that much. I love people that love what I love, but otherwise I have no interest. <laughs> and, and so I've gotten better at that over time, but the, the, the business has now evolved into something real. The next step for me will be to manufacture. Um, I don't want to have like the Matt Mormon detailing line. That's not my goal. Not you have your own line of product now, correct? No, it's no. all. The only time I put my name on something is if it doesn't exist. Like, or it's something that I like the Mosmatic gun is mine and my design. I'm freaking giving that up. If you want to buy, you got to buy it from me. I've worked too hard for that. Um, but, but the, like the tire dressing is just a B and B tire dressing that no one else had. And I'm like, well, I wish you guys, I wish someone else had, I wish I could just buy it from Jeremy shine supply and get a margin on it, but no one had this tire dressing that I liked. And so we had to put my name on it. So the goal is not to create a private label brand. Uh, the goal is to build a curated brand of the best products that I know about at the time. Um, and so, so everything in the store is stuff that I use. Otherwise I don't want it. The big epiphany in 2019 and 20, the reason why we've gone to new heights, uh, was when I bought every pressure washer that existed, you know, every cheap pressure washer. And I tested them all and figured out what fittings worked. When I realized that 22 year old Matt can't buy a Krenzla, actually 22 year old Matt probably could have, but let's say 16 year old Matt couldn't right? Or 25 year old man, or you know, there are progressions. Not everybody right. wants the Porsche. You know, no. some people are happy with a civic that's great and functions well. Mm -hmm. And so I've the big epiphany that where the business has really gone to new heights, we'll probably do about 20 million in sales this year. And I would guess probably 50. I think we'll hit 50 million inside of uh, 24 months. Um, the only reason I tell you share these numbers, it adds context. Otherwise, it doesn't yeah. mean anything. I know nobody that, else tell the numbers, but that's my style. That's a lot. And you're housing a lot of inventory also to back that because it's the, the a demand. Ton of risk. Yeah. Now, you know, every order I make could bankrupt me. You know, I just made a $175,000 order of Milwaukee yesterday. It scares yeah. the crap out of me, you know, and so it could, could go bust. Um, I've saved a, a decent amount of money, but I haven't extracted enough yet to be totally solvent, totally liquid. But I think inside of, you know, two years, I'll be personally solvent and I'll, I'll, you know, I can ratchet up or down the business depending on demand. It um, keeps the fire burning inside too, being in that position. Oh yeah. This is <laughs> unquenchable. It's funny. I used to spend my whole life teaching people how to retire. I will never retire. I have no interest <laughs> in retiring. Zero. Now when you're doing what you love, right? I mean, at this point, yeah, it, what is retiring? 
when you look at it that way. Right. You're just you're doing gonna, nothing, right, stepping away from what you like. Recreate what you love. Now, if somebody showed up and said, "I'll give you 125 million dollars for your business." You know, oh yeah, that. it might be a different story. <laughs> then all I have many friends that have maybe not 125 million, but many friends that have sold their business, and then they want to they want to rebuild that same business again after six months or a year or two. They don't know what to do with themselves. So I'm doing what I love. I wake up every single day freaking out that I don't have enough time to do what I want. You know, like after this yeah. podcast, I'm going to go make a video showing people um, um, going back to my audio roots. I'm designing uh, audio systems for garages because it doesn't exist. Um, you could nice. you could hire somebody to build the system, but I'm going to teach you how to buy it. Here's the cables. Here's the speaker. Here's how you set up. Here's how you get Aptex or AAC Bluetooth. You know, here's how you get it set up properly. Here's what you want to know. And then, by the way, click on you know SuscarageGarage.com. Here's the one-click solution. And uh, so right now I'm working on the high-end stuff um, because the goal is to build an end-to-end -end solution for the garage. Yeah. Every part and piece. I'm going to sell the light switches, the paint the baseboards, every part and piece. And we're going to build it. We're building a design firm to design garages for people. Designing is not scalable. So the design is really just to create content. Think Chip and Joanna Gaines, they flip some houses, but the scalable business is selling lamps and pillows. Um, my scalable business is selling the solution, but then, you know, creating content around you know, showing people how to detail, showing people how to, how to, how to get dents pulled. We're on this dry ice thing. Um, yeah. We're, we're going to provide a lot of value to the world in dry ice, me and my friend Scott. Um, and, uh, and so I think the, 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 the future is that the platform that I've accidentally created um, is the platform that allows me to just chase passion. And as I've matured, uh, because social media is a really tough thing to deal with. You know, we were talking off air about, you know, haters, a hater who knows my whole story and has made up this whole backstory. You fight those haters when you're immature. And then as you become more mature in, in social media, you know, let's say you're 60 years old and you show up on Facebook for the first time. It's like you're an infant again. Yeah. It takes years of practice and years to be mature. I, I, I like to think of myself that I'm now in college. My buddy, Adam LZ, is a PhD in how to deal with, he has three and a half million subscribers and has dealt with it for a number of years longer than I have, even though he's young. He's 26 years old, but he, he's, he has a PhD in how to act and how to, how to deal with what comes with that little bit of notoriety. The, the, the background noise of the haters. Yeah. And I think that like the detailing world has come around to this idea because I think people realize I'm not full of crap. You know, I think they, yeah. that I've, I've shared the whole deal They've shared the whole thing. There's nothing else there. And, uh, and so, you know, I think that people realize that, you know, these guys like me aren't stealing. In fact, we're showing people how hard it is to freaking detail a car. And most people are saying, I'm not doing that. I'll spend 30 hours. Just have some, I'll pay somebody I'll to do that. it. <laughs> yeah. And so it, you know, it, it, the rising tide raises all ships, you know, and, and you guys developing products and learning about things and making great products. And, and we all work together to, to make this thing great. More and more people are learning what a squirrel mark is, you know, this is true. They're learning. Now, are you selling? Buy. I know you sell a lot of product, but as far as services, I'm sure you get a lot of requests 
Zippo. Zero. But do you have people like, hey, come on, Matt, come on. I seen what you did. Can you please, please, please do that to my yes. car? Every single day. Yeah. Yeah. And I've gotten good. suckered into it on two cars that I really <laughs> liked. Um, and I, I'm done. I did my last car. Uh, what was it? Oh, Sean's um, Sean from PSI in Orlando. I did his um, his G80 M3 because I wanted to experience the G80. And that's the last car I will ever do for anybody else. It's just I don't have the love for your car like I have for mine. And yeah. I hate polishing. I hate it. But I'm addicted to the result. Yes. I love the product and I love the result. So I'm willing to do the work. And intrigued by the process. Yeah. And seeing that change, you know, seeing the improvement. But in the perfect world, I just want to jewel up an already perfect paint, you know. I don't want to do it. Um, but I love the the stuff and because i love the results so much um i think that i have some value to provide the world this unique background of of, of superiority complex humbled combined with learning how to build a business combined with being an engineer combining with ocd combining with you know all this stuff and anxiety and and then all the people i've met along the way and all the processes that i've that i've enjoyed watching other people do you know, what, spending time with Jason Rose and Dylan and, you know, you and Rennie and, and the guys from the rag company and Ivan LaCroix, you know, is spending yeah. time with people that have a lot more experience behind a polisher has, has taught me, I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to do it. <laughs> well, you're else. a student of your environment and you yes, become yes. a sponge to be able to take in all the, the, the good processes, not just the stuff that's out there, but from people who are vetted, who have created the process right so being able to be around that become a product of your environment where when you speak you have that same level of knowledge maybe not as much as the hands-on but you witnessed yeah. it over and over again to where you could explain the process just as thorough as is doing it. yeah and my unique skill set is different than yours or different than the next guys you know and so my all of this life experience has taught me my where my place is where you know yeah. where, where i'm best suited I could build a multi-million dollar detailing business, you know, a, a labor business right now, right? This that I could have done at the beginning and turn it on in immediately, but that's not what I'm best suited to do. It's just not the right thing for me. And if I did that, it would, I would get distracted in that. And I thought that that's something I would build a detailing business just because I could, um, but it, it, it would distract from, from what I'm, what I'm good at. And then what I'm good at is finding products, especially professional grade products that aren't marketed well enough for anybody to understand it. And the biggest thing that the thing is I've done a lot of self-reflection, the thing that has made obsessed garage and me personally as successful as it has is because I'm always willing to punt. I'll just, I'll buy, I buy so much stuff and just throw it away, punt and try again, punt and try again, punt and try again. And, and then because the Michael of the Jordan humbling, effect, yeah, just get the shots up. Just keep you know? going. Just keep going. Eventually, you'll make. And, them. and so the that 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 sort of unique circumstance. I had a really good job, so I was able to afford to do that. You know, all this stuff, putting all this stuff together. I grew up in a trailer park that taught me how to. I don't want to be there. I don't want to live there. So all these, all this life experience. Everybody's, you know, life experiences lead up to what you're best suited. It's, it's just very unfortunate. I, I would say probably 99% of people aren't lucky like I have. The luck part is that I figured out early enough in life of what I'm passionate about. And then 
figured out how to provide value to the world. And then the money is just a result of that value. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not asking that. In fact, half the time I tell people that forget it. You buy this, you're not returning it. You're going to pay shipping for it. Don't freaking ask me questions about it because I've already answered it all. Uh, press all bottles. I brought them in and I said, look, I don't know if these are even going to work. You buy it. No warranties. You're on your own. Only do it if you want to be a part of this. Uh, and, and, and then people love that. They, they love the, the authenticity of it. Um, I would love that. I would love if yeah. somebody did that. Something I'll buy it. How many want me to buy? You want me a hundred, two hundred? I'll buy them so that I can be a part of it. I want to try to make it better. And by the way, they all failed. All the tips failed. And then the second batch, the they, the piston failed. And in my pursuit to create an amazing bottle, uh, and uh, and so I'm, I'm on iteration number three, which is pretty good. We're getting there. Uh, so then eventually we'll provide a warranty on them and, and back them. And um, but. I feel like it's I'm trial and error, right? You've got yeah, I'm uniquely suited to try that and to figure that out. And, and then I've been lucky enough to choose the right spots that people have valued. I'm sure I'll, I'll start making mistakes at some point in the future and, and get into things that people don't value and don't buy. Hopefully it doesn't bankrupt the organization. But, um, but the, in general, I have a pretty good sense for what people want because I'm just selling to myself. What would I want? as now I'm, what would I want at 22? What would I want at 25? What would I want at 60? You know, what would I want at different socioeconomic stages of my life, but all knowing that I'm passionate about it. So if people are following me, they're, tr tr they're probably pretty passionate about the same things I'm passionate about. And if you're fortunate enough to discover that point in your life, if you're fortunate enough to figure out a way to where it's, it's scalable and it's not capped, like, like in wealth management, I've been capped with my time. Mm -hmm. There's no cap to what I could sell. Right now I'm capped by how much space I have in the building. And we figured out a way around that by just having inventory come in every day. Uh, and, and so um, figuring out a way to chase passion where you wake up every day and I can't freaking wait. I get angry when I have to go to the bathroom. I was like, yeah. Time, you know. <laughs> what do you mean? Just put this bag on my side. Yeah, just let's just go. Let's go. And then learning how to the next step is, and I talk to detailers about this all the time. And like, you need to figure out a way to get out of detailing as quickly as possible. Not yeah. quit poly. You, you you want the option to grab the polisher when you want to, but you and I know Rennie and you you guys talk about this with a lot of young guys in the detailing business. Figure out what's your next path. I don't think Rennie's detailing cars any, but for anybody anymore, unless he wants to, right? Bingo. Uh, you're exactly. probably doing very, very little that you, you build the business, you train your guys, you figure out, you make mistakes along the way. I mean, how many guys have you trained that then went and took what you taught them and hung a shingle up next door? And so you've had to learn how to, yeah. how to make yeah. it better for them to work for you than to not. So, so I think that, that, that in most people's lives, in, in, especially in detailing, if you're going to get into it, you don't have to know the path, but you have to be open to what's your next step so you're not stuck yeah embrace the change of that path and that's and one there's thing a that you there's a few unique crazy people that just want to polish and they're just going to polish for the rest of their lives and that's what they should do and they're um, damn good at it and but that's their them they're their business they found their spot they found yeah. what i found what you found what you know Rennie found what people have found what the right company boys have found they found that thing that thing that that, that makes them wake up and, and get angry if they have to take a leak. You know? 
And then if you can figure out how to manage people and how to add leverage. Right now I have 22 employees um, that are by proxy me. Not one of them is me, but all of them together are me in proxy form. Right. And so, you know, the guy that's editing the videos doesn't create the products. The guy that's creating the product doesn't ship the product. The guy that ships the product doesn't deal with the finance. So all these humans provide leverage to, to the organization to allow me to, 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 to allow them to have a great job and to allow them to chase passion. Um, but for me to not have to do everything forever so I can do what I'm best at, which is playing with speakers and flooring and cabinets and, and, and polishers and all that stuff. Get you to pick and choose where you want to be and play with things. Now with, with the products that you carry now, how many different brands are you keeping in house at this point? 300, 400, something like that. So that's a huge business mistake. It's a huge disadvantage. I'm not buying power with anybody. Cause you know, I call up PNS and say, look, I don't like like 90% of what you make. I just want these two things. And, and so a lot of convincing goes into like McGuire's wants me, you know, they want you to sell everything they make or, yeah. you know, or, or not everything's a home run and you, right, you right. got to be honest with them. You know, they, they, some companies make some great products, some great products, but their whole line is not a home run. So the masses want a simple product line solution. And so that's why, and I'm, I'm sure we could talk to Rennie about this, you know, the PNS double black line has some stuff that's good. It's not the mm -hmm. best in the world. It's good, but most people, most the masses want a whole line of products. Give me a whole solution. Give me a most people are going to do what you and I do and test and try and buy and try and test. And, uh, and so um, I feel like my value prop to the detailing world is the to buy and try and punt and come up with a curated solution. The problem with doing that is it means that like I buy like one thing from Dr. Beasley's, I buy two things, three things from PNS, I buy four things from CarPro. And so I never get the best margins and I never have the best buying power. And, um, and, uh, and, and I never, um, you know, never get to go back to the table and renegotiate because we, you know, hit new heights with them. Uh, so it's not a smart business sense. A smart business thing would be to go narrow and deep with one company. Hey, PNS provides me everything. So I'm I'm everything to them. They're everything to me. But but that exists. And you gain buying power and everything there. Yeah, yeah. But so from a business perspective, it's not the smartest. But from a brand perspective, I believe that the curation thing that I'm doing, and the fact that I'm not particularly interested in going and making my own line because I would never be able to make the best interior cleaner, the best tire shine, the best polish, the best. You have to spend your life, and you have to get really lucky getting that one bead maker like product, you know, that yeah. one, that one M105, 205 like product happens. Yeah. And you can't make a knockoff, then, then it's a negative situation. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it becomes very generational. You have to get lucky, you have to have the right chemist and, and you have to have you know, infinite focus in on one product to make it the best. So I let everybody else do that. And then I just buy one. <laughs> That that's that's the business. That's the model. That's the obsession. That's the that's the whole story of all of this. Me rambling on about my life story. That's really what it is. Is a value proposition that I'm able to leverage all of this, both wins and losses in my life, to then provide the world with something that not everybody wants, but but that you know there's a decent amount enough people that want it to have me make a good living and the people who work for me 
and and that we're, we're we're in a relationship with all these people buying from us where they want what we're providing and it gives us incentive to provide it and then at the end again if you lead with money um, you're going to lose eventually the money is just a result of all of the other stuff the work the leverage the managing humans the dealing with comments, the maturing on YouTube and Facebook and learning how to deal with that, um, getting the detailers to come around on your side. And now half of them are buying stuff from me. It's been a, it's been a journey that I couldn't replicate. If knowing what I know now, I couldn't replicate it if I tried. Well, and that's the thing you didn't write a business plan for, right? It all happened organically, but as every step you made complemented the next step and it just naturally happened, you know, building that platform of people seeing you, and then diving into eliminating all those links into providing the, the product that they were demanding, it right. kind of closed the gap, but also validated you and what you've come across in your findings, you know, so these so people it goes know. Back to like, like a lot of your young detailers that are probably watching this, um, I was, I didn't know, I didn't like set out, okay, today, here's the business plan. I'm going to start detailing today. And then it's going to, you can't, you, you can't do, you just have to be open to the crossroad when the crossroad comes don't, don't, you know, you can't chase rabbits, can't chase every opportunity. Um, but you, you want to be open to the opportunity to, if you're not Paul Dalton, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe you should think about your exit from, you know, from polishing. And I don't think Paul probably polishes all that much anymore either. <laughs> you know, no. he eventually, you know, got paid by Swiss Facts to, you know, use his name and his name is a brand that's worth something. So how do you, find your Paul Dalton path uh, to, to, to continue to chase passion and to provide the world value. And usually that means, doesn't mean you're famous. Usually doesn't mean you have notoriety. It just means you have a business. The best business is where nobody knows you and you're just silent. Yeah. That's the, you know, I mean, that's the best business. If I wasn't so addicted to being on stage, um, I had no idea that I was addicted to that then I would be much happier if I was just silent, you know, just in the background somewhere, you know, and nobody knew me. I freaking hate it when people call me on the phone. drives me nuts. What do you have lined up for events this year now that we're starting to open back up into going out and doing things? Zero. Zero. No. I know I'm you said no, no traveling. SEMA. 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 If I have to freaking wear a mask, I'm not going to SEMA. But um, SEMA and that's it. And um, I have so many projects here. I just got an E36 M3 that I'm, you know, restoring, if you want to call it that. Um, nice. I've, I've got a lot of work to do with, uh, I'm a Milwaukee dealer and providing value, the vision I have to provide value for that, that for the world. Um, and um, I'm, I'm building my garage at my house. We just got the building behind us. We're going to build um, the yarn building, another 3,200 square feet. I've got another 5,000 square feet up north that gets the CO here shortly. So I have a lot of projects that I'm going to be working on. And I, I just invite people to come here because I've got the best place. So why would, why would I go somewhere else when I could just invite people to come hang out here? And, um, and I have an infinite amount of content that, that we'll create. It's, it's super motivating. That's well, awesome. That's awesome. And it's, I mean, everything that you just, the path that you've taken is just so inspiring. You know what I mean? Cause it's, it's a unique path, but you've made it work and you've made it work for you and you've made it work in a, in a business sense too, as to where, you know, it was for you, but it also turned into a business, which even benefited you more because it allowed you to do what you love into something that turned into like what you said with the money following. And, and to, to tie that all together. I mean, 
I have to give a lot of credit where credit is due. I mean, I have a, I hired a business coach in 2015. I took a business course. Uh, and so I've had a coach that I've paid. I pay him, I think like 48,000 bucks a year now. And I'm probably going to pay him more coming soon because we have more employees. But I paid him when I didn't have 48 grand to pay him. Um, so just to give you a reference one. So I paid him about, it was about 10%, 15% of my income um, is what I paid out to have a coach along the way with me help keep me on the right path because now the biggest problem i have is too many opportunities and i would get sidetracked like you said start a detailed business yeah. get involved in this partner on this get in that you have yeah. to, i have to know where to where to invest money and time um and uh, and because i've done really well with the coach and he's they've, they've taught me how to do that um i um i've been able to still maintain like i don't have like work-life balance issues. I can do what I want, when I want, come and go when I want. Uh, and so I'm, you know, if I want to put 16 hours in because I'm loving to do it, or if I want to do zero, I can do whatever I want. Uh, and that's been, that's been really, really important for me psychologically because I've had flare-ups and downs of, you know, panic and issues with, you know, you, you would think, I told you the rosy side of the story, you would think it's just this great deal. I've got this charmed life, but I still am deeply cursed. So got employees. That's the other part of it, right? <laughs> yeah, they help me a lot. I mean, yeah. I don't, I don't take crap from any of them. So they, you know, they know not to go there. And so all the drama and we have such great culture here and it's it, my coaches being involved in that in nipping the potential issues in the bud and, uh, and making sure uh, like right now we have a, we have a, you know, we have two sides of the business that we're working on making sure that they're culturally together instead of a us versus them. Hey, we're in this together. You know, the creatives versus the, you know, versus the, the workers, you know, the workers are always working harder than the creatives and the creatives are like, well, you don't know what I know. And so getting, getting synergy is, is something that we, we spend a lot of time on, but the coach helps me with that. And then I have a CFO now and um, I guess I'm calling myself the CEO. I don't really like that term very much, but um, I think with official, you, yeah, once you get to a certain point, you have a certain number of people to work for. I guess you can use that title. You kind of have to uh, in order to in order to you know, I guess garner respect. I guess I'm well, bringing up the point too about the coach. I mean, having a business coach or a mentor in general is is a huge key to a lot of success from different levels, different industries. And I think a lot of people being introverts are just scared to reach out to people. Um, that's it, the, they're in their own way. If that's the case versus being able to have super, that. It's like super, um, I don't want to say it. It's, it's a confirmation that, that if someone asks you, like how many times someone asks you, Justin, they said, you know, Hey, can you help me? It's like, you feel good. It's like, oh, man, somebody, somebody, first of all, you feel like a poser, right? You feel like you shouldn't be the one providing anybody advice. But, but if you do, you get, it's like when, when a young guy comes to you and says, Hey, how, how do I do this or that? It's super motivating and super, um, you know, it's, it's a confirmation that you're, you're providing the world with something good. So if you are younger and listening to this, don't call me. I don't have time, but, <laughs> but, but be open to, to uh, investing in, 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 in yourself by, making requests of those that you admire to to you know provide you with some guidance on certain things don't be annoying but you know you'll know what's annoying and what's not 
inquisitive is one thing, but annoying is another. Yeah, yeah. Um, You know, respecting time um, and and you know and and making sure that you're you know you're self-aware because that's that's a lot of introverts have a tough time with self-awareness, but but it's it's humbling and motivating for somebody to be asked to be a mentor. So don't be afraid to ask somebody for help or for advice or guidance. And those people show up in your life. They're probably already there. You just don't know it. You haven't yet yeah. into it. I never sought out a mentor. I didn't like seek out this business coach. It just happened. Actually, my business partner wanted to take more money from me. He didn't think he, he, he wanted to get a higher percentage split. So he made me take this business course. So we got to take this or we're not going to work. And so I'm like, I don't want to take this freaking business course. This is in 2015. And I took the course and I ate it up. And, uh, and he hated it <laughs> and he didn't get any more money from me. In fact, we split and I took all the money. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, he, it, uh, it backfired on him, but I found that business coast cause it showed up in my life. And then when it showed up, uh, if you're open to recognizing when you, know, when you need it, it was a huge, huge help. And so I've, I've had probably three or four different mentors in my life that have, you know, contributed to me. And I would hope that I contributed to them, you know, equally back by, you know, validating the information and knowledge that they have. And sometimes you outgrow your mentor. Yeah. You know, your changes. And, and um, it, 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 I've found in my life that mentorship has always happened naturally. This is true. This is true. And you're, you know, with contributing to everything that you've brought on board to the industry with detailing at this point, you know, people consult with you in a way you have become, you know, a consultant because of the unique position you're in with yeah. what you love to do. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. People always ask me, how do I start a detailing business? Well, I don't know. I never started one, but <laughs> call this person, that person. Um, but from a, from a business perspective, I've, I've been drinking from a fire hose. It's funny. I was a financial advisor for 15 years and I didn't know anything. I thought I knew everything. I knew nothing about business. And um, I, I'm, I'm like a toddler in business, um, but uh, but man, I don't know how I was advising people on money. And I didn't know anything about it. I knew about stocks and bonds, and I knew about uh, the the data on retirement and all of that, but I didn't know the real. Like, how do these people actually make this money? You know, and and how how could I provide them some value? I'd be a great financial advisor now, which I have no interest in being one. <laughs> Well, um, we are getting close to our time for the, the podcast. I definitely appreciate it. And there's definitely been, man, great, great story. Um, Thanks, I man. usually ask for some words of advice, but you gave a lot of words of advice. Um, would there be anything else just, I guess, to put that out there for you? You said like the younger guys and a lot of people watching. I know that you have your following with a lot of people who may be watching now, but the detailers that are out there that, or getting to know you, getting to know the detail space in general, what's something that you could tell them that may help them as words of advice? There's a lot to, to, to consider. I mean, about, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, your customers will pay for, for quality products if you're able to articulate the value. Um, I, I, that's, that's, that's something that I would be. So I'm so interested in products. And so if you're interested in products, your customers will probably be interested in products too, because your customers are you, you know, they rep, you tend to replicate yourself. You know, people that are attracted to you are a lot like you a lot of times, or they at least aspire to be like you, or they're like you in their field and they're hiring you to, to be the expert. 
Uh, and yeah, there, you know, there are lots of, you know, lots of ways to do it less expensively, which Justin and Randy and guys can teach you that sort of thing on how to do that efficiently. But if you don't, if, if you don't love that, so if you love efficiency, that's the way to go. If you love saving money, that's the way to go. That's what you're passionate about. You'll do great with that. But if you love great products like I do, you know, you would think, well, there's no way that I could make a, a living off of that. I think you can, you just have to articulate the value to the customer, the customer will pay for it. I would pay for C-Courts over Joe Blow's generic because, you know, I've been, I've thought the C-Courts was good, you know, or, or you told me it was good. And so yeah, it cost me a hundred bucks more. Okay. I'm, I'm in, I'm in on that. Um, so that's, that's one thing to consider is that like, I ask the customers to pay for shipping in a world of free shipping. If I can articulate why the vast majority of the people that I want to be customers will still buy from me, even though shipping can be expensive because the real cost of shipping, we get great rates, we sell lots of stuff, but the real cost of shipping is much different than you think. And so yeah. same thing in your detailing business. Um, if you, and I've used the example of products and pricing, but, but don't worry about what the guy next door is doing, worry about what your customer wants and how passionate are you about the value you're providing and be confident in that. If you could chase that, um, you could sell, you know, I'm sure you could sell a $500 coating and a thousand dollars labor. If, if there is real value in that, you'll reach a point where, you know, maybe you're, you're overpriced. I, I just, I don't like that term. I don't think there's such things overpriced. Yeah, it's all perceived think, value, right? Yeah, I think if you can provide the value um, and, and if your customer is willing to pay for it, um, there's no such thing as overpriced, no matter how many people on Facebook tell you it is. That term shouldn't even exist. There's no such I thing. It. I love it. That's one of the biggest things that I preach. That's why I agree so much is the value, selling the value of the service, not the dollar amount, the value of what's going into it, how it's being done, the process, the techniques, the products, just in explaining that in such a passionate way that the customer yeah, just like, take no. my money. Right. <laughs> the only person who's going to say no, that doesn't have the money for that, you know, say, man, I really value that, but I just don't have the money for it. Well, then they're just, maybe that's not your best choice is to work with that customer or, or, you know, you, you partner with somebody else and you get a referral fee off of sending it to the guy down the street. You know, somebody you would trust putting your name on that is willing to do it for less or is using a different process. Um, that, well, that's one way to work your way out of the business. Eventually, then you become just a referral source. <laughs> you know, the guy that's the most value is the guy that's making the sale. That's why salesmen always being paid the most. You know, the guy that, that the guy that is actually the most value is the guy who organizes the salespeople, the CEO of the corporation is the guy who gets paid the most because he's able to band together the most valuable employees, which are the people that are able to sell the value of what someone's providing. And so in detailing, if you're passionate, no matter if you're introverted or not, people can smell that on you, you know, and if you're passionate about it they'll, they'll, they'll want to hire you to do it versus somebody who's just grizzled and angry and just doing it because they dropped out of high school and this is what they figured out. And, you know, you, you, if you're going to do it, I would 1 million percent be a member of the IDA, even though it's a freaking waste of money, as most would perceive, invest in yourself. You know, it's a, it, it'd become a member of the IDA. You'll get to know little people, like Justin and Randy, I keep using them as an example. You know, it's funny. I think I told you this, that I used to think of the Detail Mafia as a bunch of douchebags. I never met any of you. 
but I was Thanks. afraid. Of it. I Appreciate thought you guys it. were all like, I know. like I New York that. tough guys. And I'm like, I'm, just, I'm a type C. Like these are all type A. You know, I was just afraid to ever. Hey, so we've got Matt on today and uh, this is the conversation we're going to have. It's going to stay within these parameters. And if you don't like that, hmm. Mm. So I never went into it for the first several years of SEMA. I never went into a PNS booth. So I'm like, man, I don't like those guys. I don't like them. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't know any of them. You're the freaking nicest guys in the whole detailing world is PNS and the whole detail mafia. Literally the nicest humans. They might not look nice because they're all padded up and tough looking. But yeah, I tell you what, man, I was scared. It wasn't I was scared. I just I just like I don't want to be a part of that. And I don't want to get, you know, beat up or anything like that. And so I just didn't go. Over. Now you're all in. <laughs> yeah, like all these guys probably, you know, mixed, mixed martial arts. And I'm going to get freaking choked out, you know, before making <laughs> something I said. But yeah, the message, the, the, the message there is don't, you know, don't, uh, don't judge people. You know, don't even don't judge the customers. Just share the value. Share yep. what you do. Share what you love and chase it. And then be open to the crossroad that shows up, you know. Maybe you're, maybe you're like the, the guy that, uh, you know, maybe you should be doing boats, you know, cause that's what you love. Yeah. Way better to work on things you like working on. And then you can freaking ask the customers to let you drive the boat. You know, they'd love that. Yeah. And don't be so darn professional. Be you. This Look is at true. Me. Be you. Okay. I just told Justin, I thought they were douchebags. I got you. Be you, be authentic. How can you fault that, right? No, you can't. When it comes to honesty, that's the thing. That's that's the biggest thing that opens up, you know, when you're able to be honest and get people to smile and then you realize that that's just yeah. who they are. Look good as a detailer, you know, have a uniform, have the, but, but don't do it for them. Do it for you. Do it so that you, you, you look the part, but don't feel like you have to be something you're not. Like I spent 15 years at Merrill Lynch wearing a suit. Like, I don't, I, you will never catch me in a suit. I'm showing up at the next funeral like this, like, you know, middle fingers. I don't care what anybody <laughs> thinks. I'm not doing that. That's, I'm not playing house with anybody. And, and then that's authentic. That's real. It is. And so I think with detailing, look presentable, but, but be you because people already know who you are. Stop trying to fake it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And then it makes it easier to remember everything too when you're just honest and being you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, Matt, thank you. I appreciate your time. I enjoyed this webinar, or sorry, podcast, because it's on a webinar. But I've been practicing was... <laughs> on camera for several years now. Sorry. <laughs> well, you did a damn good job. I appreciate. Good at it. talking about myself too. That's that's my superpower. Is uh, being able well, to and your myself. your story is intriguing. Everybody has a great story. I mean, all the people, all the guests I've had on my podcast, they've all been great guests, great stories, and and everybody has a unique you know, version of their life. And it's just always interesting to hear that some of them kind of all run together, especially with the detail industry and how we got started, you know, starting yeah. off as a kid and so forth, and then growing into it in some way, shape or form. But you have a completely different approach to that. That's what makes it the story so unique and so intriguing. Um, Thanks for having me. I had, a lot of, I had a lot of fun. I appreciate you. You're um, just to give some plugs real quick before we cut off. What if somebody's trying to reach uh, 
Obsessed Garage? What yeah, are best thing to website? do? Just go to Obsessed Garage YouTube channel and you know start there and you know, got fifteen hundred videos or something, an average of thirty five minutes long. So there's a lot there, and then the summary of all of that is ObsessedGarage.com. And so all the products are written, the descriptions written by me or, um, and the photos are taken by us. I don't use stock photos and stock descriptions. Like I want to provide people some value. You know, I've used that word 500 times in this podcast here. Um, and so the obsessedgarage.com would be the summary and you know, follow me on Instagram. Just, if you just Google obsessed garage, you'll find everything you need to find. It's awesome. that's, what's been cool about it, is all the, the organicness of, of um, being me on platforms and the platforms just find you. Uh, and so I haven't had to do a lot of inorganics, like, you know, buy ads. I've never taken a sponsor dollar. Um, in fact, today, I don't even want anybody sending me products. I don't even take anything for free anymore because it's freaking annoying. You know, sometimes I don't want it and I'm stuck with it. So I yeah. buy everything and, and, you know, it's not really fair to me um, to do that because I'm going to promote the product and they'll get a bump, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to be beholden to anybody. Uh, and I'm not saying that's bad to do that. I mean, I think that most social media influence, they should, they should probably get paid for their value. I just, I'm just, I get too annoyed by it. So I don't want it. I don't want to do it. No, that makes sense. Well, thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. And thank everybody for taking their time to listen, watch again, this is episode number 25, or I'm sorry, number 29, long way off, of the uh, Reflection Artist Live. And hopefully, again, we can have you on in the future and recap on, you know, where we were today versus where we're going to be and everything that's happened in between. So um, and then, you know, I would like to personally connect with you at a later date as well. I get back from my trip. I'm visiting the guys actually in the next couple of days tomorrow, out in the rag company out in Boise. So I'll uh, make sure you said there, tell them that you said hi as well. And um, thank you again, Matt. And um, I look forward to talking to you in the future. See you guys. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thanks for tuning in this week to Reflection Artist Live. We hope you had fun and learned something new. If you missed an episode or are looking for more, check us out on our social media or podcast platforms. And join us next week when we have another amazing guest. Don't miss it. We'll be talking business, life, and detailing. Also, don't forget to check out buffandshine.com for a variety of buffing pads and accessories for your detailing arsenal.